Man, I appreciate that. Uh, last song just really kind of connected with some things that have been on my heart the uh, last couple of days. Uh, I was, we were visiting with a friend of ours who is, um, has, uh, he, he went way off the deep end for a while and now he's, uh, he's finding himself and he's, you know, he's trying to, to just make sense of life. Uh, and I thought, you know, there's something the Lord gave me in the midst of that conversation that I, I thought I might share today. And when we sang that song, I thought, you know, man, it was just confirmation we need to do this. So I just want to take a, take a second to do it. Um, if you will, just kind of picture, uh, you know, Kobe's computer over here as being, um, as being a person or being the church, uh, the way most of us experienced it growing up. Y'all with me already? Say, oh, yeah. All right, make sure you're plugged in because this is a good illustration that's going to help us today. You were talking about all the poor and powerless, all, you know, all the weak. Everyone will, con- will ultimately one day confess that he is holy. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that they're, you know, I've always thought of that as meaning simply that we were going to be made to, uh, to be in the choir in heaven as angels. And all we're going to do all the time we're in heaven is sing uh, holy, 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 you know, that everybody's going to be doing that. Uh, and I know that it's more than that now. I know that it's we're going to be so enamored by the character of God and the person of God that we're going to, from our hearts, we will authentically praise him. So we're not going to be doing anything reluctantly. It's not anything that you're not going to want to do. It's going to be what you absolutely want to do. And even now, for me, now that I've been kind of growing more and more aware of who God is, my authentic love for God and desire to praise him for who he is is stronger. And it only comes one way. It comes by knowing God, by experience. Uh, but, but one day, everybody's going to do that. Everybody's going to see God for who he is, and they're going to praise him. So everybody who's still stuck in dead religion, okay, some of us still are stuck in dead religion, uh, who, are, who are just trying to do things and are on a performance treadmill, trying to be good enough uh, to, <clears throat> to please God, um, all of us one day, We'll come to to center, which would be we'll let my my stand be the right stand. This is us knowing God, us seeing God for who He is, us being in love with God, us seeing the grace of God, like like most of us here have seen and been affected by that in such a way. It's changed the way we we see God. It's changed the way we see others. You know His grace that reaches down to us and says, uh, "Yeah, you sinned, but guess what." While you were in sin and rebellion against me, I died for you. So, so that is the person that we're talking about, the grace of God. When we see that for what it is, when we see him for who he is, then we'll be drawn to him, right? That's the middle. And so one day, all of everybody, if it's, if it's now great, right, fantastic, that you get to give, live in the kingdom of God, while you're here on the earth. Why live in, in religion that's heavy and burdensome and there's a list of rules and regulations and you're always trying to perform and, and measure up? Why live in that when that's already been done for you, when Christ has already become your righteousness? Why would I live in that heaviness? I'm just going to live over here, and I'm looking. If you look at me, I look a lot like those people, except I have a smile on my face and a song in my heart. Right, I'm joyful about it. I mean, I, I, I still, I'm here today at church. So are you. We're here, but we're here with a different motive. Right, our hearts have been transformed, and we love God, and we're we're growing in our knowledge of God. So, uh, and you may be somewhere in between here, and that's good. Just, but one day he says, 
we're going to be here. All of us will praise him for who he is. But then the other side is kind of where our buddy was. And, uh, and it's where he was when he, when he left here. And we'd had plenty of experience of dealing with that, you know, with, with someone who ran from that and ran all the way past Jesus to this place of drugs and alcohol and addiction and a life of uh, whatever this is. So, and in case you want to rule yourself out of that, don't just because you're not in drugs and alcohol and it ran over here to I'm going to do away. I'm not going to church. I don't have anything to do with uh, with anything that has to do with the church. Some of us run about right in here. A lot of people do. This is who we call the wandering who get between the between God and and just paganism, really just living your life by whatever ple- whatever pleasures they can find in life. You know, flesh, pleasures of flesh, just whatever we can do. All of us have probably been there to some degree. We're somewhere in between here, but we don't want to be in church anymore for sure. We are written church off, and there's a lot of, we talked to a couple this morning that we've been visiting with every Sunday who they basically have done away with church. That church is not, they're not a part of church anymore. They still go to a church because, believe it or not, they lead a Sunday school class, but they're disconnected. They're not connected with anybody. anybody. They don't go to the message. They're just disconnected. Okay, they're somewhere in here. They're still not seeing the beauty of who God is. But he ran way over here. And one day, everybody, even those who claim that God doesn't exist, who've had their fill of whatever God they think God is, who've had this misconceptions of God, and they're way over here running away from God, running away from anything good, running away from the church, really, but they, they, they equate the church and God, and they're not the same. Look, they're the same distance, really, away. You know, that church over there that we talked about is the same distance away as, as they are. And God, one day, is going to grab their hearts, too. The Bible says that it, when, when Christ comes again, that every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will see how good Christ is. And so, why do I say that now? Because last week we talked about these people. And this week we got to spend some time with one. Uh, And I just think God wants us to get this, okay? Uh, We need to get these people for sure. We need to be well thought of by these people. And how does that happen? Watch. Y'all still with me? It's not by being over here and saying, come on, y'all come on over here and be a part of us. We got a good list of rules for y'all to follow. Y'all will enjoy. We got another list of things you can't do. You might not like them, but you got to do this to get that. That's what we're thinking or what we're saying. They're not coming over here. They're not coming over here. We are not well thought of over here. All week in life groups, and I think I, I think I made everyone except for the Butterfields on Sunday, and they're they're not talking about the messages, but everyone that's talking about the messages week, we I asked the question: In your opinion, what do the lost people that you know, people that don't know God at all, what people that are over there, what do they think about this, the church? There was not one positive word that was said from anybody in this body. I didn't set it up that way. I just asked the question. Let's get real about really how are we thought of by the community. Go ask them. Go ask somebody, not, not somebody that's not in church, that's a Christian that thinks they're supposed to be in church. Ask somebody that's a pagan that's living out there. 
what they think of the church. We didn't have to ask him this week. <laughs> he was very clear about what he felt about the church, that, that group over there, not the church that's connected here, but religious people. He made it real clear, and he, he wants, still wants nothing to do with them. I get that. We should all get that. But let me say this also. It's not by, by us acting like we're here that they're going to be drawn to God. They're not going to bow and say, oh, God is an awesome God by watching us act like something we're not. Everybody get that? It's, some of us think, okay, I think I understand how Glenn wants us to act. So let's act that way. So we're not acting like that. Oh, no, we're against that, right? But we're going to act like this, and it's just the same. Somehow, what we need to be praying for is God somehow get us to the point where we really are people who see you for who you are. Where we really are motivated and changed by and constantly being moved by the discovery of who you are, the beauty of your grace and all the other characteristics, how you provide for us consistently, how you give us your wisdom consistently, how you are are personal enough to speak to us and guide us in our daily lives and all the things that God is to you, that you heal us, that you comfort us when we need it. Um, You know, how... How can we get in connection with God in a way that we see him for who he really is? You know what that's going to do? It's going to make what you intend to do with that person different. If you're faking it here, you're going to intend to try and get them to fake it with you. And those people know fakes. They know them way better than you think they do. And we just, we have, and then if we talk them into being something that we're not, what have we done? Bible describes the Pharisees on that side saying that if they talked them into it, they, they made them twice the sons of hell that they were. And we do the same. Just because we get people in the church in this building on Sundays or we get them to our life groups doesn't mean that, that we're really representing God and that someday they're going to get it and they're going to go to God. We got to get it first. So, man, my prayer is for us that we'll keep these things in mind. You know, we always have these three up here. Maybe that'll be a reminder for you that we need to reach these people. We need to be well thought of by those people. We've got to figure out how to do that. And the best way to do that is just be God's and be yourself. Okay? Be authentic. Be who you are. Don't play the game anymore. Don't be who you think you're supposed to be. Be who you really are. If you're messed up, can you admit to God and to others that you don't really love God? Can you admit that? If you can't, then you, you're probably not real. I mean, there have been times where I really, and you know, I love the idea of God, but I didn't really love God. I didn't really have a passion and a heart for God. And I, I just believe it, that some of us are still there. It's okay to be there. God wants to draw your heart to him. But if you keep telling yourself you're okay, you're not going to get there. So put yourself in the continuum somewhere. Are you way over there still? I don't think many of you are. If you are, you probably won't be back next Sunday. You know, uh, are, you, are you right here between performance and, and freedom in Christ and the person of Christ and a relationship? Or are you over here? Maybe you've 
you maybe you've been running from that and you kind of went way past Jesus to this midpoint somewhere between you're really embracing the world and paganism and all the things of the flesh and you're satisfying all that instead of continuing to reach for Christ. Wherever you are, let's all get back to center. And, and here's my political statement, ready? This is probably all you're ever going to hear me say about politics. This is what politics needs. Uh, this is what we need as a nation right here. You know what's going to draw us together from all of our different views? Some of us very liberal. Some of us super fundamentalist, conservative. What's going to draw us together is Christ. It's, it's somehow believers in the world need to let people know that Jesus is more than just religion. And that's the only, we're the only ones that can do that. It's people that know God and are willing to walk with him and reveal him to the world. Okay, We need to be lights in the darkness set up on a hill so people can see God through us. Y'all believe that? Say, oh, yeah. All right. We're going to continue on. Today we're going to start and finish uh, uh, just one lesson on uh, on deacons, and we'll talk about the difference today between elders and deacons. So we're in First Timothy chapter 3. Verses 8 through 13, and we're still continuing to just apply what these passages are saying to us. But I want you to understand, because I know we have questions about what is, what is an elder, first of all, because, you know, we, we haven't, traditionally most of us have come from Baptist churches that didn't have elders. Why not? And then, and then what's a deacon? Because deacons have always been the ones that have been the heads of other churches that I've grown up in and, and been to. So where does that all fit, and what's our way of defining that in the context of our body, okay? And, and I say our way of, confine, of defining that because, and I do believe it's the biblical way. I mean, if the Bible talks about elders, overseers, you'll see the difference between the two. It's a very distinct difference. And then, then we need to realize that every church needs to have elders and deacons. Uh, and we have deacons in our church. So they just aren't, and deaconesses, they just don't have the name yet. So we're going we're gonna to ask God to touch your heart in regard to this, and, and hopefully you'll see yourself, either see yourself in this role or not. All right, so let's pick it up. Verse 8 of 1 Timothy 3. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for a dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their household well. For those who who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. All right, let's, we're going to pick up there. First of all, he says deacons likewise. So there are, he's saying deacons are different than elders. He just gave us a list of characteristics. I will go through this at the end of the message, but the characteristics are basically the same. There are a few that we might want to dwell on in a minute, but really I'll show you the connection between the two. He's saying also deacons likewise. That means they're different people, okay? So If you grew up in a church that had deacons and deacons did everything, they're not the same. Deacons and elders are different. Okay, he gives, he says deacons also. Everybody get that? Because if I were to say, I'm going to the bank, Talitha also is going to the bank. You wouldn't think I'm talking about me. 
right? It's just, a, you know, language is pretty simple here. He's not, it's not complicated, but I want us to understand that because they are different, and they're different roles. They're different by definition. They're different by meaning. So let's talk about elders first of all because we haven't really talked a lot about the role of elders and kind of where it came from. In Exodus chapter 3, the Israelites are represented as having elders. This is way back in the Old Testament. Okay, so uh, from the time of Egyptian captivity, there were elders in the church. Uh, Moses com- commanded them to, uh, to commanded the elders to do things. Uh, they, were, they were probably heads of families uh, in the first instance that they were used in, in that passage in Exodus chapter 3. But later on, you start seeing, like in, in chapter 24, you start seeing a fixed number of 70 that are mentioned over and over again, 70 elders within uh, the, the whole of Israel. Uh, they were, were, so there was a fixed number. It was kind of an inner circle of elders. And the Lord poured out his spirit in, in Numbers chapter 11 on those elders uh, who were leaders of, of, the, of all the, the tribes of Israel. In Numbers chapter 11, look at it with me, verse 16 to 18. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, gather for, for me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So, so here we see, again, we see elders being uh, called by God literally, uh, the, the laying on of hands that we do for elders and deacons, we do because we are, it's symbolic of the spirit, of the recognition of the spirit's work in their lives. And this was uh, literally the spirit was put on them. The spirit didn't live in people in the Old Testament. He was placed on them by God. And so the spirit is placed on a portion of the spirit that was in Moses or on Moses was placed on them. So we see them. And what was their role? Um, their role, according to that passage, was that, uh, that they were to be officers over the people and that they were to bring the people to the tent of meeting. And so here's these 70 elders who are encountering God first before the people do, having this experience with God in the, in the wilderness tabernacle, and they, are, and they are representing the people and then they're going back to the people and they are officers over the people. So they served in the same role that the New Testament elder serves that, that, that we're going to talk about in a second. Now, after the wilderness period, every city seems to have elders. When you go to a city, there, were, uh, there, there seems to have been elders or a ruling, a ruling body of elders in each city. And numerous times in the Old Testament, uh, we, we see evidence of that. And according to, uh, to the laws that were given in Deuteronomy, you see some of their roles, things like, uh, they were to um, act as judges uh, in apprehending murderers uh, in Deuteronomy 19. They conducted inquiries, uh, like in, in Deuteronomy 21, where, um, where there was a, um, uh, it, they, they made a rule that if a body, if a, bo- if a person was found slain between two cities out in the wilderness, that the elders were the ones that were supposed to go and actually measure the distance from the body to the cities and say which one, which city was to go through the, the uh, uh, purification on, the, on behalf of that body that was found dead. 
on behalf of someone who murdered that person and left them out there if they didn't know who killed that person. So they were the, there were very specific things that the elders did uh, in in the way of uh, inquiry and taking care of detailed uh, details for the people. They settled matrimonial disputes, marriage problems between husbands and wives. In Deuteronomy 22, you see that, and also in 25. Uh, if there was a city of refuge, uh, which a person could, could go and plead for asylum, it was the elders that made that decision. So all of this, they ruled, they, they, over, over, they gave oversight to a group of people. Uh, they shepherded those people. They made decisions for the people. Uh, so that was their role. Now, that was, that was Old Testament. So when we talk about elders in the New Testament, you know, we have to define it, but the, 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 um, the, but the people in the New Testament understood what an elder was because they'd been experiencing what elders were as far as ruling bodies and officers and shepherds and overseers. They'd been experiencing that since uh, the, the law was given to them by, by Moses. All right, so everybody get that? This has been a part of what, so it would be like, like me saying uh, governor or a parish in Louisiana. That may not make sense to the rest of the world, but it makes, makes sense to us, right? It's our word. It's our terminology. We've grown up with it. If you've grown up in this state, you think it's weird when somebody says county. You say, wait, county, what is that, right? That's who we are. So that's who they were. They understood this terminology. So now when we talk about elders in the New Testament, we see the same thing. That's not always the exact same word. There's, there's, uh, there are different words that are used, but you see, you'll see a, uh, the roles are the same. And, the, and Scripture shows us that, so it's not something we're speculating. Let me give you a, some for instances about elders, okay, in, in our roles. Different words that are used, uh, but they mean the same thing. Look at uh, Acts chapter 20. I'm just going to read the first part to introduce it, and then, and then what I'll read behind it kind of follows. Uh, it's all part of it. You're welcome to go read the whole thing. But for our sake, just to show you this. Uh, that elders, overseers, and shepherds are the same. When you see overseer, you see elder. Uh, first of all, those two terms are the same word in the Greek. Okay, but shepherd also, that, that role, they understood that to be a role of an elder, elder of a community. Uh, and so it says in verse 17, now from Miletus, uh, he sent to Ephesus uh, and called the elders of the church to come to him. Okay, so it's the elders that he called to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, dot, dot, dot. He said a lot of things. But one of the things he said in verse 18, verses 18 through 30, or 28, I'm sorry, through 30, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You see how he uses those terms interchangeably? He's shepherding. He uses the flock idea. He uses the the, uh, elder word, and he uses overseer all in the same sentence. So he says, be careful. uh, Pay careful attention that you care for the church of God. Again, caring for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Then in Titus, another, uh, we talked a lot about Titus, but Titus makes this clear also. He says elders and overseer are the same. Uses them different words in the same sentence, uh, or same paragraph. Chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
If anyone's above reproach, husband or woman, here we go. Same qualifications. Uh, children are believers, not open to charge of debauchery and uh, insubordination. For an overseer, he uses the term overseer. For an overseer, so he's using them interchangeably. It was clear to the people in the New Testament that those were the same thing. Is God's steward, or as God's steward, must be above reproach. So a bishop, an elder, a shepherd, overseer are used interchangeably, not by not the same word, but the to the the purpose and the definition as used in Scripture are the same. So all those are the same. Uh, I want you to see that. So anytime you see shepherd or you see uh, elder, you can you can see in the context of the passage whether he's talking about a leader of a body. You know, he might be talking about a shepherd as a shepherd. But a lot of times he's talking about shepherding the flock of God, right? Uh, same thing with overseer or elder. They, they understood the people in, in, in Paul's day, when Paul was saying to Timothy, you, you need to have elders, Timothy understood and the people understood. Those are people that are officiating, shepherding, um, watching over, caring for the flock of God. Okay, does everybody get that? All right, so I know that in some churches, particularly in Baptist churches, for years we have used that, uh, we have not used that terminology, and when we talk about a deacon, that's what we think about. Only a lot of times, if you've been in ministry, when you hear deacon, you don't hear any of those things. You hear the person you want to get away from, right, as quickly as possible. Uh, and that was a joke, but not really. But we all get that. So, so, but their role was understood, uh, listen, their, their role was understood to be different than, it's not include, it's not in, included, and in, it's not interchangeable, used interchangeably with shepherd and elder and overseer, pastor, okay, those things are not, when you talk about deacon, we're not talking about the same role, okay, it's clear in scripture, you look at it and you'll see that, so the, you know, there's, so what is the term? What does the term deacon mean? Uh, the, the, in the general sense, it means servant. Now, in the Old Testament, again, let's just look at one passage, or one, it's actually a New Testament story. It's a parable that Jesus gives um, in Matthew chapter 22, and he talks about, um, about the king's attendance, and it's the same word. It's diakonos. It's a, in the Greek, it's the same word. That whole concept of serving and a servant uh, really was understood to be just that. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 13, Jesus says at the end of that, he says, And the king said to his attendants, to his deacons, the king had deacons. He said to them, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They understood that a deacon was a servant, literally was a uh, a table server in the king's court. You know, whatever the king wanted to have done, these were the ones that did it. And they did it joyfully. They were glad to be a servant of the king, but that was their role. It was, uh, diakonos has, has no meaning that, that ties it by its definition to anything regarding leadership. It's just service. So I think we as Baptists historically have done, I know we as Baptists have historically have done a poor job of describing to you what leaders are supposed to look like in the church by calling our leaders deacons. Deacons are supposed to be table servers, literally. They just, they just serve the people, and they're glad to serve. It's what they do naturally. It's what they're called to do. It's what they're gifted to do, and so they serve. 
So when we start thinking about things like um, is a, a deacon should not be or should or should not be over a, a, a woman should not be over a man, so why would you have a deaconess? Well, I understand that in the context of, of Baptist tradition, and I would not have a woman over an elder culturally in this town because of we're trying to also reach these people over here, right? Not convinced that it's wrong. It's just wrong for us at this point. I mean, we've asked the Lord. The Lord's given us clear direction on that for our body. We suppose our elders and our women are not supposed to be over our elders. So, uh, but a deacon is a servant. Why wouldn't a woman be able to serve a man? I mean, none of us have problems with that. Matter of fact, some of us like it. You know, I like it when my wife serves me. Of course, she likes it when I serve her too. So, just to just to see the difference between those two, I know that some of us have had struggles with that. But we need to understand that we're not talking about deacons in the way that we traditionally in Southern Baptist churches have talked about deacons. Everybody understand that? So when we use the term deacon in this church, we're talking about servants. We're talking about people who serve well. We're talking about people who have the same characteristics as an elder. Man, they are pursuing God. They're after God in every way possible. They're not just sitting back and saying, hey, I don't really care about this God stuff. Man, they're after God. And it shows up in service. And what better way? right, then for, for a servant of God to be revealed, or a person of God who's after God to be revealed in, in humility and service to others. Jesus said, I'm a deacon. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And he gives a beautiful illustration. Uh, of course, he's also the elder, right? But he's a, he's a, he was a perfect deacon. He washed the feet of the disciples. That was something that even Jewish slaves were not required to do. Only Gentile slaves were required to wash feet. And Jesus served the disciples, and he served people. Uh, and so, so, so we just need to see that those are two different terms, okay? So let's look at deacon in the New Testament then. Just a few words about that. We're not going to dwell on it. But you need to see some examples of that. Now, Paul calls himself a deacon as well. I'll start there because the rest of the deacons are not like Paul. Paul says that he is a deacon, but he's a deacon of the gospel. Look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. That word minister uh, is probably not the best translation. It should be servant. Uh, The word is diakonos. It's the same word. That's used for servant everywhere else in the New Testament. Paul says, I am a servant. But here's what Paul says. He says, I'm a servant of the gospel. And it doesn't mean, does that mean Paul doesn't serve people? No, he serves people too. Look at how he does. I mean, he has a heart. He's passionate. He's always praying these beautiful prayers for the people that he's connected to. He desires to see them and to go be with them and to give them encouragement. Paul loves people and he serves people. But he serves them with the gospel. That's his role. Paul says that my role is I'm, I am the, the, the missionary elder who's called to go and plant churches to serve, but to serve the gospel. I'm, I'm the one that makes sure the gospel remains the focus, right? So that's what he's doing here in 1 Timothy, remember? At the beginning of the study, he said, Timothy, I, want you, I urge you to stay there. Don't move. Don't go anywhere. You need to refute the, the false doctrine that's being taught, and you need to encourage the people not to listen to it. 
and not to be affected by it in any way? Paul's a, he is a, he is a servant of the gospel, and all of us need to be that. We need to be servants of the gospel. But Paul's was, that was his call in life, and I believe that's my call. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't serve people. I hope you realize I serve you. I know you do. I mean, I, I am, I'm going to be in your home. I'm going to help you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to do what I can, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do my role in that is going to be to proclaim the gospel, to bring the gospel into the moment. So if I'm serving you and your attitude's not right, I'm probably going to serve you in a way that's not going to feel good. Right. Or if I'm serving you and you need healing, we're going to get together and talk about what does the gospel say about healing. Or if you, you have a need in your life, we're going to say, what does the gospel say? What, how can we bring God into this moment so that you can know God in a deeper way? Not just so you can have an intellectual answer to your question. That's my role. I take that. God gives me answers. I, I love that. I want that. It's a prophetic role for me. It's not dead. It's alive. And, and I, I minister to you in that way. But there's other ministries. There's other ways of serving. And the majority of what the Bible uses and when it talks about deacons, and in this text, it does because it just differentiates between elders and deacons. Paul was an elder. Okay, so when we're talking about deacons at this church, we're talking about what Paul had to do in Acts. Look, look with me in Acts chapter 6. What Paul had to do in Acts because he couldn't effectively continue to minister the gospel and, and serve the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel, and serve people with that. Get it into the lives of people and be, be true to that and maintain that and protect the truth of the gospel so that this doesn't happen. He couldn't do that anymore because of, the, of his service to people, to, to widows and orphans. There was, there was, there was other servant serving that needed to happen. So Paul describes that in verses 1 through 7. He says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men. And again, now here he goes. He's not just any seven. Seven men who are of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And, the, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and the Candor and uh, Timon and per, per, uh, the other ones. And Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So here's seven men chosen by God's command through Paul to serve so that the, so that the ministry could, could continue, the ministry of the word could be the focus of those who were preaching the word and teaching. Now we're all serving the gospel together, right? It's just your role in that might be serving people so that those of us who are called to, to, to study the word, preach the word, hear from God uh, what it is to serve as a messenger from God or an angel for this body, that we can hear what God's saying 
and, and that we can lead effectively so we're not all tied up in all the details of, of the ways of serving the body, of serving tables at the church. And that's all the detail work. You know, we had a servant yesterday who came and helped the pastor uh, by weed eating all day. He's probably wore out today. I think he's sleeping. Uh, man, it was, you know, that's a servant who t- would take their side. I get it. And I'm not trying to make anybody else feel guilty, but one came yesterday and served. And, man, it helped me. I can tell you, it freed me up because here's what I know would have happened. It took me all the time that I had just to mow that grass. That means I had to go back this week and try and find time to weed eat. So I'm, that's just service. It's service, but it does free me up. You know, the, what, what is it that God has put in your heart to do? It doesn't, it's not a demeaning job. Jesus said, this is what, this is the best thing I do. And, and you do what, as I've done to you, you serve. There's nothing demeaning about it. It's just a different call. But it's not the same call. Everybody get that? There's a different call. And it doesn't mean that, that my call to preach the word is more important than yours. You know, we believe this about elders. Jeff is, has the same authority and Aaron has the same authority in this body as I do. We are answering to God because of our call to lead this body. We are equals. I'm not above anybody. And you guys, we're not above you. Nobody's above you. Your role's just different. Find your role. You're part of the body of Christ. And, and some of you, maybe, you're, maybe you don't even feel like you're good at serving, but you know that God's calling you. That even when I'm mentioning this, man, you're feeling like, gosh, I need to do that. I need to find ways to serve this body. I need to ask God, where do you want me to serve? Uh, and it's not just men, by the way, because remember, uh, you know, well, first of all, even in our text, he talks about the wives of deacons who were also servants and had to, had, there were requirements for them as well. But in Romans chapter 16, uh, we find Phoebe, who is, a, who is also a deaconess in Scripture, our servant. Uh, same word. Uh, feminine version of it, but same word. Look at it in, in 16 verses 1 through 2 of Romans. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, deacon, deaconess of the church at Sincre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and myself as well. This Phoebe served, and she was always serving. Serving everybody, taking care of the needs of people. Uh, we know that that uh, that Mary and Martha, Jesus would stop at their house, and Martha was the servant, uh, always serving. You know, both of them were, but they always served. It was a good place for Jesus. He loved to stop there. He stopped all the time. Uh, you know, regularly he would stop to see them because uh, of Lazarus and of Mary and Martha, because they would take care of him. They served him, served him well, and Paul. Uh, also talks highly of churches that took care of him, that even in their poverty, they would take care of him. Even when uh, they weren't doing well, they would make sure that his needs were taken care of. That's a gift and a calling uh, for a man or a woman. In Luke chapter 10, though, let me give a warning that if God is calling you to serve, you need to watch that and keep it in balance. Uh, In Luke chapter 10, we find the story of Mary and Martha, and it says this in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha, in verse 40, was distracted which, with much serving. 
She was distracted by diakonos. Much diakonos, right? She was, she was distracted by it. And she went up to him and said, this is what happens when you get your service out of order. When you're doing it for the wrong reason. This is what happened. She came up to him and said, Lord, you not care that my sister left me to serve alone? I'm the only one in the kitchen. I've been preparing this meal, and now she's sitting over here at your feet. Don't you even care? Tell her to get up and come help me, right? And he says this. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but the one thing, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, the right thing, which will not be taken away from her. So another thing that we find happening is that people serve, and, they, and the service gets out of focus, and that's what I think has happened with churches and deacons. Deacons are, are, by definition, clearly understood in the Old Testament and New Testament to be servants. People knew that. Servant is the word. Okay, That's the de- that is what it means in our language. So if we were to say servant, be a servant, we all know what that means. That does not mean lead. That means help. It means put others before yourself. It's a whole different meaning. But what's happened is people have been noticed as being whatever, servants, probably because they helped pay for a building or they gave a lot of money to the church and, well, you're really serving. And they've been put in in places of authority and they've stepped outside of that role. And I think if Jesus were to come into some of our churches today, he would say, uh, you guys that are trying to be in the role that's not a servant, you need to get out of that and get back to serving. That's where you need to be. But then also some of us want accolades for all of our service. We want people, and we're not going to go serve if somebody's not coming with us. We're not going to go and serve somebody if we don't have a, if the rest of the church is not coming. I'm not going, right? That's not a deacon. A deacon is one that serves. And God wants to put in this body deacons. We, we're confident of that. We've known that since we started the church eight years ago. We've never had deacons, but we, we just haven't gotten around to it, be it our fault or whoever's fault. But now's the time. We need servants. We need people who are willing to serve. So as you evaluate yourself and ask yourself, am I deacon material? Let me remind you some things that he says in this passage. Let's go back to it. Here's what he says. Likewise, so in the same manner as elders, likewise, he says, deacons must be dignified. What is dignified? It's very similar to above reproach and well thought of. Same kind of, you know, it's what does the community think about you? How are you acting and what, is it, what, kind of a, uh, how, what kind of a public opinion is there of you? What kind of reputation do you have? Not double-tongued. That's very similar to managing, like we talked about managing your own family, and that's a good way of testing whether you can manage the church of God. Not being tongue, double-tongued, which is saying one thing and doing another. We talked about how uh, a new convert gets puffed up. He puts up a smoke screen. He's not really who he is. A deacon also needs to be who he is. He needs to be himself and be God's and be serving. Uh, Addicted to much wine, we talked about that. Same thing. Not a drunkard. Um, Greedy for dishonest gain, we talked about that. Not a lover of money in regard to elders. Uh, He needs to hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. We talked about that and talked about in Luke 8. Over and over again, we've been talking about how the word of God takes root in our lives. We need to be good hearers of the word. Be careful how you hear. A deacon is careful how he hears and with a good conscience. In other words, from a sincere heart, like we talked about in Luke 8. You know, from a good heart and a clear conscience, he, he is 
uh, bearing fruit. In other words, he is being this person we were talking about. Or she is being this person. She's not out trying to be something that she's not. She is being authentic. And she loves God. And she's, the word is taking root in her heart. And she's holding and growing. Remember also in Luke 8, we talked about how uh, if you know, he gave the illustration that if you, don't, if you don't act on the word that you've gotten and it doesn't take root, then you're not going to be able to understand more of the mysteries of God. But he wants to unfold his mysteries to us. And so a, a deacon is one that understands that. In 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 6 to 10, it says, uh, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age are of the rulers of this age we are doomed to pass the, who are doomed to pass away but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory none of the rulers of this age understood it for they had or if they had they would not have crucified the lord of glory but as it is written what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined uh, no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These, God, these things God revealed through, to us through the Spirit. So the secrets that God has for us uh, also is consistent with what an elder is. And then he says, and let them also be tested first. Now this one was, was not said in regard to elders. Now does it mean that they're not tested? No, I think they are. I know they are. Uh, matter of fact, most elders were deacons first. Uh, most elders were servants first. It was obvious in the life of an elder. Uh, it, it better be very obvious in the life of an elder that when you place uh, your hands on them and you pray for them, that you recognize the gift of God of leadership in their lives, that they will be good overseers and good uh, shepherds of the flock. Yeah, because that's what protects this body from division, is putting people who are over the flock, making sure that you're putting the right people in, in uh, that you're blessing the right people and agreeing that these people uh, are actually God's chosen people for that role. But in, but here he says it overtly. He says that let them be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So in the same ways, in the elders not being a novice, they need to have proven themselves. And that may be a short period of time or a long period of time, but they need to have, uh, you know, there needs to be clear evidence that they have had a life change, that they're no longer walking over here or over there, but they're walking with God They're pursuing God, and they're ready to serve people. Now, here's where I believe we are as a church, and and definitely where where we want to lead as elders. That most of you, if not all, who aspire to the position of elder would first serve and, and serve in a way that would show the people over time that you would be tested, and that you'd be tested through service. Uh, that, that how is your service to the body? It's really easy to follow Jesus. You know why? Because he's a servant. It's so easy to follow him because you know, I, mean, I wanted him to, I'll do whatever he says. You know why? He has served me like nobody else has. He gave his life for me. He gave me his righteousness. He gives me wisdom every day to walk in, through this life. He came to give me life and give it to the full. Why would I not follow him? I'm going to follow him because he's served me well. I, I know who he is by experience. And it's so easy to follow someone who loves you and you know they love you and you know they're going to serve you. So there there may be some in our body that have done that 
and been tested already, and the elders will, will be bringing those, uh, or one or two, or whatever it is that God would give, put on our hearts. We'll bring them to the body. But I, I really want everybody, y'all with me? It's time to close. But I, I really want you to pray about everybody, to pray about being a deacon, our deaconess. Uh, we are, have just, Talitha has just completed a, uh, a manual for our life groups that's going to talk about what the role of a life group leader is and then what the role of a host home is. But also, uh, through this study, we've come up with the idea of a head deacon or deaconess within that group who serves that, that group well. And so we, we have positions already, and five positions right now, uh, that are waiting for deacons and our deaconesses to serve well. Uh, so you pray about that. Ask the 